0: Let's read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45, page 559 of your Book of Praise. We come to to another section. In the third part of our thankfulness, we've learned to serve God uh, in our deeds by following the Ten Commandments. And this last section of the Catechism shows us how we are to be thankful to God also in our prayers. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only, who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is the Lord's prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you pray? It's a question that only you can answer. Your elders will know if you attend church. Your family members will know whether or not the Bible gets opened around your table. But whether or not you pray personal prayers is a question that only you can answer. And it's a very important question. I'm not asking if you say your prayers regularly My question is, do you pray? I hope you can answer that question positively. This prayer is needful for our salvation. No person can expect to be saved if he or she does not pray. The point is not that we are saved by our prayers, We hold fast the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. And yet, without prayer, no one can be saved. Each of us needs to respond personally to God's grace in Christ. We need to confess our sins and unworthiness, to plead with God for forgiveness, to thank God for his grace and spirit, to pray for all we need, for body and soul. To be prayerless is to be without God, without Christ, without grace, without hope. Do you pray, young people? Sometimes we're inclined to come up with excuses for not praying. Some say, I don't know how to pray. But prayer is the simplest act. It's simply talking to God. Little babies cry out when they're hungry. Beggars hold out their hand when they're in need. As children of God, we can talk to him about anything and everything going on in our lives. Some will excuse praying by saying that there is no convenient place to do so, but where there is will, there is a way. Our Lord prayed on the mountain, Peter on the housetop, Jonah from the fish's belly. Others make the excuse they have no time, yet however short the time is, there's always time for prayer. Daniel was ruler over Babylon, and yet he prayed three times a day. David was king of Israel, and yet evening, morning, and noon, he cried out to God. If your heart is set on God, you will pray. The problem is that our prayers do not come naturally to us like our breathing does. We need to learn and to continually relearn to pray. And there are many obstacles to prayer. We don't always give enough time for it. We're often distracted by the busyness of life. At times we feel quite distant from God, and so we avoid praying. Sometimes there are sins in our lives that make us feel ashamed to pray. Or perhaps we reckon that praying is a waste of time. As nothing ever seems to change, anyways. This afternoon, we'll consider the place of prayer in our lives. We'll see how God desires His children to live in prayerful communion with Him. To pray, we need to know God. We need to know Him as He really is, so we learn to rely on Him for His grace. We need to know ourselves as sinful, needy people. We cannot make it on our own. We're totally dependent on our Heavenly Father. Finally, we also need to be assured that prayer works, that God hears, that he provides for all our needs. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God desires his children to live in prayerful communion with him. To pray as Christ commanded us, we must truly know God. We must be aware of our need and misery. We must expect all good through Christ alone. Can you imagine a close love relationship where a boyfriend and girlfriend do not talk? Can you imagine an intimate marriage relationship where husband and wife never speak with each other? Do you think it possible that those redeemed by the blood of Christ and renewed by His Spirit would never pray? It seems unimaginable. And yet there are times in life when Christians can fall out of the practice of prayer. Part of the difficulty is is that God is up there, and we're down here. God is pure spirit, while we are both spirit and body. We can have face-to-face contact with our fellow man. Our spirit communicates with fellow human beings through our tongue, which is material. When we speak to our neighbor, we often receive an immediate reply. Yet when we pray... We address our Father in heaven, whom we know but cannot see. The Spirit within us communicates with God. God does not answer in an audible way. We do not hear him reply with words from heaven. There's a gap between earth and heaven, a gap that needs to be bridged. The wonderful news of the gospel is that our Lord Jesus Christ has bridged that gap. Though he was God, Christ humbled himself. He took on our flesh and blood. He suffered and died to pay the price for our redemption. The result is that he has restored us to communion with the Father. He has opened the way for us to have access to the throne of God. And thus, in faith, it's possible to bridge the gap between earth and heaven. Christ taught us to pray to our Father in heaven, and He assures us our Father will hear us for His name's sake. To pray requires faith, we need to know that God exists that he is our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the elements of faith is a sure knowledge, whereby we accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. We need to know God in order to be able to pray to him. Growing up in Christian families and attending a reformed church, you would think that we all do know God but often we have wrong perceptions of him. Our image of God is easily distorted, and that could have a really negative impact on our prayer life. Some people know God as a far away God, a God way up there in heaven, far removed from their everyday lives. It makes it really hard to pray. If that's your perception of God, you're not very likely to share your hurts, frustrations, sorrows, and struggles with him. Some people know God as a mighty king seated on the throne in heaven above. They view him as an angry judge, ready to thump him one every time they step out of line. It makes it really hard to confess your sins to God. If that's your perception of God, you'll be inclined to view any adversity that comes up in your life as a direct punishment from God for some perceived sin you cannot really identify. Some people view God as a type of Santa Claus figure, someone to go to when you want something, a God who gives his children whatever their heart desires, even if it isn't good for them. If that's your perception of God, then you are likely become very selfish in your prayers. Instead of them being a sacrifice of praise, they'll become a list of, give me this and give me that. Some people view God as a powerless wimp. Since they've prayed fervently for something and God has not answered as they wanted, they conclude that God just doesn't have the power, the authority to protect them and provide for them. They don't have any confidence in him anymore. And so they've just given up praying. Beloved, how do you know God? Do you know him as he has made himself known in his word? Or is your perspective on God distorted? The various perspectives I just listed are probably a bit overstated. Yet there are elements of these perspectives that influence our prayer life. For some, God is a distant God. Others tend to see him as an angry judge. At times we use God. Our prayers become like a wish list on the Amazon website. Other times we become despondent about praying. Because it just doesn't seem to make a difference anyway. When Jesus taught us to pray, he told us to address God as our Father. Our Father. God is not a distant God, far removed from us. The gap between heaven and earth is not insurmountable. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Through him, we have access to the Father. It is true that God is a just judge and that the sins of mankind provoke him to anger. Yet Christ has borne the wrath of God for us in his suffering and death on the cross. If we're children of our Heavenly Father, we may be sure that Christ has borne the punishment for our sins. God is... Our Father. Think for a moment about the close love relationship between a father and this little boy or girl. Paul teaches in Romans 8:15 and in Galatians 4, verse 7, that through the Holy Spirit we may address our Heavenly Father as Abba. It's the Aramaic word by which children address their dads. It's like calling out daddy a word that expresses love, trust, and dependence of a little child for his or her dad. In Christ, that is who our Heavenly Father is, a personal, caring Father. In our Bible reading from 2 Corinthians 4, we see how the gospel message is veiled to some. Why? Because the God of this age has blinded their minds. They cannot see the light of the glory of Christ because they do not have faith. How about us, beloved? You know what Paul has to say about us? Paul says, The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has made his light shine in our hearts that we might know him through his son, Jesus Christ. It is in Christ and it is through Christ that we really come to know God. God. The love of God has been shown in that he was willing to offer up his dearly beloved son for our sake. Article 26 of the Belgian Confession shows us that we have access to God through our mediator, Jesus Christ. He is our high priest who intercedes for us. Seated at the right hand of God, he brings our prayers before the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Article 26 teaches us we should not be frightened by Christ's greatness. Why not? Because there's no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Our confession quotes from Romans 5, the verses 8 to 10, to prove the point. Is there anyone who loves us more than he who laid down his life for us? even while we were his enemies? Our confession makes it clear that we may have great confidence in the power and might of our Savior. Why? Because no one has more authority and power than he who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Beloved, we may know God as he really is, As our Father in Christ, who loves us and cares for us. As a God who has come near to us in Jesus Christ, and who has now sent the Spirit to live in our hearts. A personal God, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A God who deals with us in compassion and love someone we can trust, depend on, have confidence in, a God who is almighty, able to help, a Father who is willing, willing to provide all our needs. If we truly know our God as he is, we'll have no difficulty addressing him in our prayers. In our first point, we've seen that to pray as Christ commanded, was truly no God. In our second point, we'll see that to pray as we ought, we must be aware of our need and misery. I believe that one of the reasons why Christians fall out of the habit of praying personally to God is because we no longer feel like we need God. We often feel self-sufficient, self-supporting. Our attitude of heart is often that we can make it on our own. It's one of the results of living in a land of peace and prosperity. Please remember the warnings that the Lord gave to his covenant people before they entered into Canaan. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 12 and 8, verse 14, the Lord warns his people not to forget him when they are full and have plenty in the promised land. He cautions them not to adopt the attitude that my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Those warnings are there for us as well. For We're inclined to adopt the same attitudes. At times of crisis and stress, we're inclined to call upon God and seek his help in the midst of our adversity. Think about how people who normally don't pray do so when faced with drought or some natural disaster, a plane crash or a terrorist attack. Yet often, when the crisis passes, people forget that God indeed helped them through. We're often like that as well. Our tendency is to forget to thank God for His care and provision. Today, many are worried about our economy. Inflation is up, and the increase in the cost of living impacts our daily lives. Financial hardships can cause a lot of stress. But, beloved, that's not bad for us spiritually. One of the greatest threats we face as churches is that of material abundance. If we've got all we need, for what do we still need God? Beloved, do you still rely on God for your daily bread? Do you see your Heavenly Father as the one who provides food and drink, shelter and clothing, health and strength? Not only is God the one who provides our material needs, he also provides for us spiritually. He is the one who grants his grace and spirit to those who ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. But again, beloved, I ask the question, do we recognize our need and misery? Of ourselves, we deserve nothing from God. We are not worthy of his grace. For our nature, we are sinners who rebelled against the most high majesty of God. Even as redeemed saints, we can't do anything for God. Even our best works are defiled with sin. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're enabled to bring forth fruits of thankfulness. In 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... And then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. In the New Testament, James teaches us to submit to God. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We need to know our need and misery in order to look to God for His grace and help. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why God allows adversity into our lives is to teach us to trust Him. Submitting ourselves to God, humbling ourselves before Him, goes against our sinful human nature. We don't like to think of ourselves as needy, as dependent people. We tend to rely on ourselves. We strive to solve our own problems in life. Yeah, beloved, if we want God's help, we've got to ask for it. We need to acknowledge that the problems facing us in life are too big for us to handle. We don't learn that lesson very well when life hums along smoothly, when all goes well for us. Sometimes we need hardship, trouble, adversity to teach us to be dependent on our Savior. The Apostle Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians 4. He speaks about our knowledge of God as being a great treasure. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul describes the situation of his life, the troubles he and his fellow workers face. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down. But not destroyed. Paul is afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Paul's suffering and apparent defeats are evidence. He has no strength in himself. The reason that he suffered and struggled was so that the people to whom he preached the gospel could see that not Paul, but Christ was their Savior. In Paul's weakness, Christ's power was continually made known. Paul's life taught the people not to look to themselves or to other people for help. Instead, it taught them to look to God, to fill the greatest needs and their deepest desires. Beloved, we have God's promise that he will turn all adversity to our benefit In Romans 8, 28, Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We should not interpret adversity in our lives as the act of a cruel God having a go at us, punishing us for our sins. God often uses adversity to draw us close to him. To help us see what we're missing. He makes us aware of our need and misery. So we turn to him for help. You might not see that where you're in the midst of trouble or sorrow. Yet God uses adversity to draw us into closer communion with him. Brings us to our final point, And we'll see that our In our prayers, we must expect all good through Christ alone. Besides humble acknowledgement of our need and misery, our prayers also require faith. James 1, verse 6 tells us that when we pray, we are to ask without doubting. Our catechism says that we must rest on this firm foundation, that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. The reason for our confidence in prayer is that we have a mediator, Jesus Christ. When we pray, we're not alone. We may address our Heavenly Father through the name of Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. He's the one who pleads for us. He mingles our prayers with the incense of his own intercession, and so they go up as sweet smelling aroma to God. Jesus taught us in John sixteen, twenty-three and twenty-four. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing of my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. At times, we may become discouraged in our prayers because it seems like God is not answering us. God's word teaches us that we're allowed to pray for anything that's in accordance with his promises. Those who are lonely may pray for a close friend. Relatives and friends may pray for someone who is seriously ill. Childless couple may ask God to grant them a child. But sometimes nothing happens. We're still lonely. Our sick relative is even worse. God has not granted us a child. Does that mean that our prayers have not been answered? In Matthew 7, 7 to 12, Jesus makes it clear. Our Heavenly Father never gives us a stone instead of bread. Sometimes he lets us wait. Sometimes he gives us something other than what we asked for. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Prayer. In Isaiah 65, 24, we read, Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. Jesus promises in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you, for everyone who asks, receives. We may be confident that when we pray, God hears and he answers our prayers. Consider with me the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. In his greatest suffering, he prayed that the cup of suffering might pass him by. Was that an unheard prayer? Certainly not. Hebrews 5, 7 states that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. It states that he was heard because of his reverence. And yet, God did not take away his suffering. Instead, he sent his angels to minister to Jesus to strengthen him for the task ahead. It was God's will not to allow the cup of suffering to pass Jesus by, for it was only by his suffering and death that we could be redeemed from our sins. And restored to fellowship with God. Beloved, we may be certain that our Father in Heaven hears all our prayers and petitions. We may be confident that He will answer them in a way that's to our greatest benefit. God has a plan for our lives and for the lives of all those around us. He is busy bringing many sons to glory. Will life always go how we dreamed it should? Will we always receive all the desires of our hearts? No. Yet rest assured that this is not because there's something lacking in God's love for you. God knows what we need. He is good and he loves to bless his people. And trust yourself to his gracious care, even in times when he does not give you the things you desire. Beloved, do you pray regularly and diligently? Prayers in which you speak openly to the Lord about all that's going on in your life. Confessing your sins. Giving thanks for His grace. Laying your needs before your Father in heaven. If that's not your regular practice, then please get a new habit for prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness to God. It's the means through which God grants us his grace and spirit. It's the way in which God draws us into close fellowship with him. How blessed we are that day by day we may talk to our Heavenly Father, knowing we will be heard for the sake of Christ Jesus his Son. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 125, stanzas 1, 2, and 4.